Hello, everyone, and welcome to this edition of The Crude Report. This is our podcast series on trends in the global crude oil markets. And today we want to look at China's demand for Canadian crude. This is an important topic as Canadian crude production seems set to grow again by about 100,000 barrels a day each year. And there are new pathways being developed to get Canadian crude to the water, both at Vancouver on the Canadian West Coast and at the U.S. Gulf Coast. So my name is Jeff Kralowitz. I do business development for Argus in crude and NGLs out of Houston. And today joining me is my colleague Tom Reed, who is editor of our monthly China Petroleum Report and who leads business development efforts for China. So hello, Tom. Hey, Jeff. Thanks uh, very much for inviting me on. So maybe I can set the stage a little bit and we'll get right into some questions about Chinese demand. But uh, it looks as if there's going to be a lot of additional crude produced in Canada of the type that could compete in Chinese markets against Middle Eastern barrels, Venezuelan, Brazilian, uh, Russian, and and West African. Uh, Alberta's bitumen and conventional crude production is already back above COVID, pre-COVID levels, and the Alberta Energy Regulator sees output climbing to about 4.4 million barrels a day by 2030. So definitions are always tricky, but this uh, 4.4 would include heavy raw bitumen, which is typically blended with a diluent to make grades like WCS or Cold Lake. And it also includes sweet upgraded bitumen that's partially refined and the conventional crude out of Western Canada. And one more definition, I think we should have a clarification on the word bitumen. When Canadians talk about bitumen, they typically mean the the 10 or 12 degree API, really heavy crude that has to be diluted with condensate or or, uh, butane or something to run through pipelines or partially upgraded to create a light synthetic crude. But I think Tom and the, most of the rest of the world, uh, bitumen kind of means the heavy product that comes out of the bottom of the distillation tower. And gets yeah, to exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's that. So there's a little bit of confusion. We should we should we should uh, clear up there. When when we talk about bitumen in China, we we are talking about the the stuff they lay on roads. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, so, maybe I'll hit you with the first question, which is just how strong is China's demand for Canadian crude going to be? going forward right well you know uh uh china has uh you know really ambitious plans to expand its highway network uh in the current five-year plan period that runs uh to 2025 so uh underlying it all we do have this kind of quite robust demand for what we could call bitumen rich crudes um of course currently demand for those grades for bitumen rich crudes is pretty weak um, but this uh, needs to be seen within a broader context of what's going on in China's oil market. Uh, and it's a potentially more complex question than simply looking at the number of new refineries being planned as, you know, latent demand, implied demand, or the Chinese government's plans for laying new roads. It gets to the heart of a lot of the regulatory above ground challenges facing the Chinese market right now. And those are very, very hard uh, to second guess. Broadly speaking, though, there are, you know, there are two distinct uh, sectors in the Chinese oil market, and I'm talking about refineries, really. State-owned firms uh, have usually fairly sophisticated refineries. Those will run pretty much any kind of crude they want, and they'll switch between grades based on uh, refining and arbitrage 
economics. The independent sector, and by this I chiefly mean the smaller uh, refineries, which which typically account for the bulk of China's bitumen production, uh, the stuff you lay on roads. These guys will switch between sweet grades for you know, such so Brazilian tupi, Russian Espo blend for producing motor fuels, gasoline, diesel, depending on price, and they will also buy a certain amount of baseload heavy sour crude, which they use to produce bitumen. If okay, that, great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, so I know we're we're trying to look uh, ahead a little bit, a couple years, about what the demand in China is going to be, but there is a lot going on in China's government uh, right now regarding steps to cut back on crude imports, especially by the uh, independent refiners. I'm wondering if you could tell us something about the ratcheting back of import permits for crude and export permits for refined products and the effects all of this is going to have for Chinese demand for crude. Yeah, no, I mean, this is this is this the issue which underpins everything we see in the market really is the government's increasing intervention in oil markets, which had become relatively deregulated. Uh, we are now in a situation where for four straight months, you know, imports, crude imports uh, have come in below 10 million barrels a day. So sharply down on some of the bullish numbers that we saw in the back end of 2020 at the start of this year. Some really, really high uh, numbers. Um, the Chinese government, which controls private sector firms access, access to crude uh, via a quota system, has come down really hard on the abuse or perceived abuse of that system in volume terms. So it's recently required uh, all private sector refiners to sign a, a form pledging not to import more than their quotas allow. Uh, and that represents a, a quite a significant challenge uh, for the uh, refiners. We're in a situation now where a lot of private firms in China are struggling to access the imports they need to run their refineries at anywhere near capacity uh, and are in some cases looking at shutting units. That doesn't just apply to the refiners in Shandong, often known as teapots, uh, but to some very substantial private sector uh, refineries uh, as well. And this is really where we see um, little clarity on the government's stance you know will it be content to slap rule breakers on the wrist you know has it has it now finished uh, with this uh, process of reprimanding them or does it actively want to prune a lot of capacity from the refining sector in china which is very significant and we're talking in terms of cdu capacity uh, you know the private sector is something in the area of 5 million barrels a day of cdu capacity it's big yeah, I'm just letting that number sink in. Five million barrels a day of uh, refining capacities, more than most countries have. So, uh, but anyway, one bit of what you were just uh, discussing there is the the effects on Venezuela's Moray crude and new taxes applied to it. And I'm wondering if you could explain what happened there and whether you think there's any advantage for Canadian crude coming out of that situation. Yeah, you know, so as I mentioned last year, uh, independent refiners imported a lot more than their quotas allowed, and a lot of that was uh, Meray. In the past, Venezuelan heavy sour 16 API Meray was a key bitumen feedstock, but then, of course, in 2019, uh, Meray flows went underground in response to US sanctions. A lot of that was routed via Malaysia to obscure their origin before going into China. Matters became more complicated still in 2020 uh, when Chinese refining margins shot through the roof, kind of counterintuitively during COVID, right? Uh, and that encouraged independent refiners to buy a lot more crude than their quotas allowed them to. Uh, and this encouraged Marais sellers 
to further disguise their crude shipments uh, as diluted bitumen and oil products. So it was it was not subject to the imports or the, the import limits on, on crude. Uh, the Chinese government came down really hard on that practice earlier this year, and it supplied a swinging tax uh, to diluted bitumen imports. There's about a $30 barrel tax on those now. And in theory, this does open the door to competing grades. Uh, those like Cold Lake, uh, which aren't subject to those hefty factors. Uh, taxes. Um, but in practice, while Shandong refiners may very well want to import Cold Lake or WCS, unless they receive additional crude import rights, a lot of them are going to struggle to do so just in, in volume terms. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the next step is, what do you think this all tells us about the Chinese government's longer term approach to imports? I mean, surely the country is going to continue growing. They're going to need more foreign crude. But Will the crude that comes in be headed to the independent refining complex at Shandong to state-owned facilities? And I guess the, the step beyond that is what does all that mean for price transparency? Since you and a, a bunch of our colleagues in Beijing and Shanghai have developed some really transparent coastal crude price assessments for Russian Espo and Brazilian Tupi at the Chinese coast, um, and they, they trade very actively. So how does yes. this all come together? Well, I mean, this obviously is a favorite topic of mine. I mean, we 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 have we developed this way of assessing crude traded for delivery to that Shandong market. We've seen amazing liquidity behind our assessments, particularly uh, for Tupi, and those have become really useful guides for buyers and sellers in that market. But of course, we only uh, assess prices for non-sanctioned crude, and that's to date uh, necessarily excluded Marais. Be really interesting to see whether the taxes now applied to Marais to diluted bitumen imports open up a substantial market for uh, those Canadian. Crude. You know, China imports around 100,000 barrels a day of Canadian crude already. A lot of that goes into Shandong province for conversion into bitumen. Um, but Canadian crude faces two big challenges. Uh, and I think one smaller challenge, the first big problem uh, is, as I mentioned, the increasing stringency of checks on refiners' compliance with import quotas. Uh, and this is interesting, you know, why we're starting to see uh, these independent refiners, these so-called teapots, uh, turn to straight-run fuel oil as a feedstock. That's something they used to do way back in the day before the government deregulated crude imports, allowed the private companies to import back in 2015. Uh, the second uh, major challenge is the unwinding of uh, OPEC cuts, which uh, makes alternative uh, bitumen-rich crudes, uh, Iraqi Basra heavy, another sort of heavy sour grade, more competitive on price into China. Uh, and the smaller challenge is, is simply the seasonality of, of road construction. Uh, refiners in uh, China now are mainly buying long-haul crude grades, and that would include uh, you know, even uh, crude shipping from the west coast of Canada. Uh, they're buying for delivery in October. Uh, but the road laying season typically runs July, September, and already we're starting to see bitumen production ed edge lower and margins uh, come off quite steeply. So producers say bitumen margins are currently negative. And that's partly because China has had these devastating floods for the second year in a row. And that, that's really interrupted a lot of uh, the construction process. I think it's possible we'll see some of that um, road laying activity spill over uh, into the later months of the year, you know, sort of maybe September, October, we could see uh, a, a bit of demand pick up uh, towards the, in the fourth quarter. But then, of course, the Chinese winter becomes very, very cold and, and road building essentially uh, stops again. 
Yeah, I think the Canadians can relate to the cold winter. <laughs> uh, but, you know, looking at it from the North American side, our interest is whether heavy Canadian crude can actually compete in the Chinese market, uh, because it does look like there's going to be more Canadian mark, uh, crude available. So the reason, one of the biggest reasons that more Canadian crude is going to come onto the international market is this Trans Mountain Pipeline project, which runs from the oil sands areas of Alberta to the Westridge docks in Vancouver. And it's supposed to be done uh, in December of 2022 or perhaps early in 2023. But this means an additional almost 600,000 barrels a day of mostly heavy Canadian crude that could get to the coast. Um, and a lot of the space on this new pipeline is already committed. And in fact, two of the companies that could ship down the new Trans Mountain expansion are PetroChina and MEG, which is partially owned by CNOOC. Um, Westridge is going to be able to send out three uh, Aframaxes from three different Aframax docks and about 34 Aframax cargoes per month. So that's, let's call it seven to 800,000 barrels a day. I guess the, the question is, can Aframaxes of Canadian crude compete in the Chinese market where a lot of the crude comes in on VLCCs? Yeah, well, actually, um, Afras are small and relatively uh, costlier than VLCCs, but Vancouver barrels would, would have some advantage over crude from the Gulf Coast. It's a lot shorter to uh, shipping distance, 16 versus 45 days transit. And at current rates, both VLCCs from the Gulf Coast and Afras from Vancouver could deliver to China at a cost of about $2 a barrel. In some ways, Afras might have the advantage of allowing Chinese refiners and the independents, you know, they, there are cash flow constraints there, to buy smaller chunks of crew, which could be uh, pretty compelling. Um, additionally, of course, in Shandong province itself, while there are quite a few uh, VLCC-capable terminals, uh, a lot of the refiners uh, are clustered up near a city called Dongying, uh, which doesn't have a VLCC terminal and would, uh, but can receive Aframaxes. So, you know, that's another um, uh, logistical advantage that these uh, shipments from Vancouver uh, would get. Would get. As for the, the China ship linked shippers on Trans Mountain, of course, you know, they could sell that crude anywhere. Uh, but these are both state owned companies. And it's reasonable to think that some of that would come to China. And I'm sure that the firms currently taking capacity on those uh, new lines would be targeting sales to Shandong bitumen producers. But there is a danger, you know, that the regulatory environment in China may be involved, evolving faster than their commercial planning. And it's possible that demand from Shandong uh, may actually be slighter than they uh, would have hoped. I don't think we're going to see the kind of uh, exponential growth in demand that we've seen from Shandong uh, in recent years uh, going forwards. I think, you know, the, gov the Chinese government would like to cap crude imports into, into Shandong. So now I guess uh, there's a question about pricing. After all, Argus is a price reporting uh, agency. And uh, it looks like most of the crude sold at the Shandong coast uh, is currently priced as a differential to ice Brent. But would you expect the Canadian crude to be priced that way? And I guess before I turn it back over to you, I want to get in a plug for our coverage of crudes going into the uh, Chinese coast. We publish daily delivered pricing for an array of Mideast, Russian, West African, and North American grades that 
these prices are based on the FOB price at the home ports plus the Argus proprietary freight rates into China. And currently, WCS is one of these grades that we look at going into Singapore and into China based on the WCS price at the U.S. Gulf Coast in Houston plus the VLCC freight. But I'm wondering, do you think we could get to a point where WCS, other uh, Canadian grades, actually ha get active bids and offers and trades as uh, Brazilian Tupi and Norwegian Johan Svedrup do? Uh, absolutely, it's possible, and I wouldn't uh, rule it out. You're you're quite right. The Shandong market, and then you know a lot of Asian markets tend to trade at differentials to ice Brent. And when we see deals done for Canadian crude or bids and offers for Canadian crude, they're almost always uh, on an ice Brent basis, usually uh, at a discount uh, to Brent, obviously. And it would be it would be lovely to be able to develop an assessment for Canadian grades DS uh, delivered ex ship Shandong, uh, but I do think we would need to see uh, far higher and more consistent trade volume than we have now for that to be practicable. Uh, the solution to that particular problem, of course, could come from these uh, new pipelines that are being laid down to Vancouver. As it becomes cheaper to get that crude to water, it becomes far more competitive to ship to China too. And that's going to help uh, in terms of competition with other uh, heavy sours like Vasconia or Basra Heavy. Well, yes, thank you for that. I'm just looking at the time. It looks like we do have to wrap up. But I want to mention that we have seen flashes of Canadian crude actually re-exported from the Gulf Coast to China, typically on VLCCs that get loaded off the Texas coast. And a lot of the, the pipeline crude from China comes into the Port Arthur area and can be uh, shipped out to the VLCC that way. Um, and the, the flow of Canadian crude to the Gulf Coast has gotten fairly strong in, in spurts. Uh, we've had months over 600,000 barrels a day, of Canadian crude getting to the Gulf Coast. Uh, so I guess uh, the final thought is just that we could see Canadian crude getting into Louisiana via an expanded Enbridge Line 3 into the Chicago area and a restarted large cap line uh, pipeline that will flow from Patoka, Illinois in the Chicago area south into Louisiana. One other uh, increment of this is there's a proposal to build a new barge facility at Lockport, Illinois near Chicago that could barge up to 400, 450,000 barrels a day of Canadian crude down into Louisiana. And that kind of raises the tantalizing prospect of Canadian crude getting to Louisiana and getting out into the storage that feeds the Louisiana offshore oil, oil port, the Loop. And of course, the Loop is the only VLCC capable export facility in the Gulf Coast right now. So, that would, yeah, that yeah. would be really interesting, I think. You know, if you look at the way the US market's evolving and growing and the growing role of light grades like WTI and setting a clearing price for crude in the Atlantic Basin. The idea that the U.S. Gulf Coast could also see the development of a seaborne heavy sour market price becomes a really engaging possibility too, and 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 I think it would be it would be fascinating to see how that plays into the the Asian markets in particular. Yeah, and you're that's a, a hot button that I always love to talk to the WCS at Houston becoming really the first hedgeable heavy crude price at the Gulf Coast, but that's for another day, I'm afraid. Uh, 
I, I really appreciate, Tom, that you gave us this look at China's potential demand for Canadian crude. And I want to thank everybody in the audience today for joining us. And also to remind you that Argus has daily coverage of these markets in the Argus Crude Report and in and monthly in Tom's excellent Argus China Petroleum Report. And uh, we also have the ability to do in-depth market studies if you need that uh, for Canadian crude in Canada or in the U.S. or in global markets. So please uh, be in touch with us about any of that that's uh, relevant to you or check out our website at ArgusMedia.com. Uh, and finally, please join us again for another edition of the Crew Report podcast. Thanks so much. <laughs>